Yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table, now, now, now let me set the table Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it Any questions? Hey Table Fam, Pastor Doug here Let me just start off by saying this uh, I miss you guys I miss gathering together I miss hugging and praying I just miss being in the room with the smoke machines and the music and the coffee and the people and the buzz And uh, I cannot wait until we can meet together again. It's gonna be lit, it's gonna be amazing. I can't wait for that. But between now and then, we have what we have and we're gonna do what we gotta do. And what we gotta do today is uh, gather together digitally in this format. I'm really thankful for Isaac and for Ryan and for Josh and for others who've helped us put this video together. You guys are watching this on a Tuesday, but we're putting this together on a Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday before, and we are going to continue in our study of uh, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. While you guys are opening, let me kind of set it up this way. Um, rarely do I do a, a message title where I say, hey, this is the message, but I felt like this one's appropriate given the unique circumstances we're in. And here's the title of this message. Don't ration your with. Don't ration your with. And I'll explain that in a little bit. Let me give you some context for the verse we're going to read. Uh, the church uh, has only been about 120 people. Jesus dies, uh, raises from the dead, talks to the disciples. We learned last week, he gives them this great commission, says, go uh, make disciples of everybody. He um, says, you're going to be my witnesses wherever you go. We talked about being witnesses of peace in the midst of this time and our thinking uh, in our thanking. And uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, and then the disciples have to pick another disciple because Judas was a disciple, but he's dead, so they have to pick another one, and they get this guy, Matthias. Shout out to all the Matthiases in our crowd, or the, if you're Brazilian, the Matthiases. Um, and so they pick him, and they're all waiting for something amazing to happen. Uh, they've moved from this kind of confusing, disorienting time period where they go, man, when are we going to return back to normal and now they're sitting around going, okay, we're now going to be witnesses, but, but what's going to happen? Like, like when's the action going to start? And that's what we pick up with here in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It'll be on your screen. By the way, shout out to everybody who said, why don't you put the words on the screen? Because we totally didn't think about that as, as we were rushing to put it together. Words are on the screen now. So you're welcome, table family. You guys, good job by you. You guys do really good job giving us feedback. So here we go. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read all of it, first 18 verses. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now let me stop here. Basically what happened is these languages, these various languages kind of came in, and it was like, this speaking ability was hovering, almost like in a video game where you pick up like a, oh, I just found a little hologram gun and I pick it up, or I found a hologram kind of health kit and I pick it up. It's just hovering around them and it's beginning to rest on them. So it's like this fiery language hologram that's happening right now. Okay, so we'll keep going in verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, so there, there are Jews from all kinds of nations, okay? So just, and, and 
also Jews and other people as well. So there's just, it's a very cosmopolitan, urbanly dense area that's going on here. Verse six, and the sound of this multitude, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are these not all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and that other P word, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab, uh, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues or our own languages, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking saying, eh, they're filled with new wine, which is basically like saying, eh, they're drunk. That's why they're babbling this way. Now, this is a really interesting thing that's about to happen. Peter speaks up. Standing with the 11, lifted up his voice to address them. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day, maybe nine in the morning. He has never been around uh, soccer moms who just dropped their kids off and are uh, having a little mimosa situation at brunch. But that's a whole nother thing. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in this last days or in the last days, it shall be, that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Okay, that's a lot of text. What in the world's going on here? Well, basically, remember the disciples are sitting around and they're going, hey, Jesus said he's gonna do something new there's this new thing that's gonna happen. People are gonna get disoriented and then Jesus is gonna do something new. How will we know when God is at work? And that's a question I think many of us are asking right now. Hey man, there's a coronavirus going across the globe. All of us are looking at like Johns Hopkins data and the stock market and you know, whatever. And we're going, what is going on? Like, this is so confusing, whatever. And those of us who follow Jesus, we're going, hey Jesus, uh, this is a giant Kairos moment. What do I, what do I need to be doing? There, there's this moment where it seems like heaven is breaking into earth and it's, it's like you want to tell me something. How do, what do I look to? How will I know when you're telling me what I need to do? Just give me some kind of sign. And I want to just pause here from the book of Acts and tell you there are three clear signs descriptively uh, that tend to emerge anytime God is up to something. Historically, we can trace this out, but, but what I think Acts is, is describing, and it's becoming a little bit prescriptive um, to us, is anytime these three things start to happen, you know God's on the move. He's up to something. And here are the three signs. Sign number one, when the confusing gets clearer. When the confusing gets clearer. When you're in a moment where everything is really confusing, it's almost like you're chase, you're playing tag. Do you guys remember tag where you'd like walk up and you're like, tag, you're it. And then you don't run and they tag you and you know, you'd run back to base. You'd be like, no, this is a super force field. You can't tag me. You remember that stuff? I don't know if you play tag in Brazil or in Cuba or Puerto Rico, you know, our Latin American friends can tell me about that later in the comments or in the comments right now you can post. But um, imagine playing tag, but there's a fog everywhere. This is kind of what was going on then. This is what a little of us, uh, a few of us are feeling right now. Like it's really confusing. Like how do I know God's at work? It's whenever that which is confusing begins to become clear. Now notice what's happening here. Um, there are all these people who speak lots of different languages. 
and then um, no, no one's talking to each other because they all speak different languages. So some guy walks by and goes, ciao. And someone's like, ciao, I don't know what that means. Or someone walks by and says, hey, como esta? And you're like, I don't speak Spanish. You, like the white people don't know what's going on. The English speakers don't know what's going on with the Spanish speakers. Spanish speakers don't know what's going on with the Brazilians. Brazilians don't know what's going on with the Haitians. Haitians don't know what's going on with whatever, the, the Thailand people. I mean, like no one knows what's going on. And then all of a sudden, this move of God happens and these clear languages start to fall on all these different people. And if you read back through there, they all start preaching the gospel in these different languages. And the the miracle here is not that everybody's speaking. The miracle here is that everybody is hearing and understanding the gospel in their own language. Now, let's just stop and compare that to a very famous passage. Think about back into the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, at the Tower of Babel. Here's the situation. There's all these different people, but they speak one language. And um, they start building this really tall tower, kind of like the, the uh, eyesore on I-4. They're building that all the way to God. Okay, The eyesore on I-4 is like a great picture of the Tower of Babel. All these people in Genesis are building the eyesore on I-4 in Altamont or wherever it is. And... They're all speaking the same language. They're able to work together. And God comes in and he gives them different languages. But now no one speaks anybody else's language. And so the result is they're all confused. It was a work of God now to confuse the arrogant plans of man. In Acts chapter 2, there's a great reversal of the Tower of Babel that's going on. And that which has been confusing for years and years and years and years where people don't understand each other all becomes clear Everybody hears the gospel being presented in their own language. There is great clarity emerging out of the confusion. And I just want to tell you guys, anytime God's at work, what he's going to do corporately and in your own life is that that where there used to be confusing or that which is confusing begins to become clear. So I want to ask you this question just devotionally. Where is it right now that God is bringing clarity to something that's been confusing in your life? Maybe in this quarantine time period, God wants to take something that's really confusing to you and he wants to bring great clarity to that. And if he does, you can tell God's up to something. That's the first sign. Second sign is this. When men and women get preachy. Now notice there's this passage in Joel that Peter is quoting. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And then later says, even your male servants and your female servants shall prophesy shall prophesy. Those are two different levels of the caste system, okay? Sons and daughters would be like the princes and the princesses in the house. The servants would be like the lowest form of the economic system. And what Joel is saying and what Peter's referring to here is everybody in all social classes, uh, doesn't matter whether you make a little or make a lot, everybody, male and female, everybody's going to get really preachy. Now, he says the word prophesy. I think when you read this, you might think everyone just starts like, oh, and they like, you know, they're like Raiden from Mortal Kombat, if you get that reference where he's doing the lightning thing and they're like, oh, right? They're just doing this thing right here, like it's a video game or something. No, no. To prophesy is simply to discern the will of God for somebody else, okay? We all try to discern the will of God for our own lives. Anytime prophecy happens is when you're trying to discern the will of God for somebody else. And what's happening here, the the sign of the times, the way you know God is working is when all of a sudden you begin to start to understand someone's um, uh, life for them. You uh, you, You begin to understand what God is saying about someone else for them. And listen, we've all been there. I've been on both sides of this. I've been uh, in moments where I go, I just cannot understand the will of God. 
And I've been on uh, the side of it where I go, hey man, it seems like this is what God's saying for you. Uh, let me give you an example of the former here. Um, when this coronavirus thing uh, first started, if you know anything about me, I can't get enough information. And when I get stressed, I just need more and more and more and more information. And I end up just like withdrawing into my introversion. And I'm just constantly researching every website. Like, what is this website? What is that website? What is, oh my gosh, and this information. And I'm, I, I'm literally in my living room building a spreadsheet of my own data, trying to see all the trends in every area of life all over the globe, trying to understand this coronavirus thing and what its implications are gonna be. And, um, I'll just admit, I have not been the greatest person in the last week. Not that I've been evil, but I've just been shook uh, for the last week. And I don't feel like I've been at my best. And I'm trying to figure out what is God's will for my life? What is God saying to me? What, and, and it's like, I can't hear God because I'm in the confusion. And so this last weekend, my wife finally sat me down and she looked at me and she goes, Doug, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah. And she said, um, you're off your game right now. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She said, everything you're emailing out to be encouraging to people is just more data for them. Like I'm sending all my friends, all of these charts, all the data I find, I'm like, this is a really interesting article. I'm sending it to people. She goes, everybody you're sending to, like people in your life group, uh, all the staff, all the, the spouses of staff, everybody, you're sending all this data. Here's what you're not doing. You're not sending them pastoral encouragement. And I was like, oh. And she goes, listen, here's what God wants for you right now, Doug, is to trust him and to just send out encouragement to people. Be a pastor. She said, I think that's God's will for your life. Uh, she kind of said it in, in some of those terms. And, and it was like I had this moment here sitting on our couch where Natalie, as a daughter of the king, was starting to prophesy towards me. She was preaching to me what is true. And it was like in that moment, it went, and I saw the horizon and everything became clear. And I was like, oh, you're right. I haven't been very good at being pastoral here. I needed to hear that. And so as I've woken up the past couple of days in the morning, it's like what God has said to me is, Doug, you're gonna be okay. You're okay. You're in a life raft. You're okay. I've got you. Now go take care of everybody else. And here's the thing. Uh, I had a lot of guys around me telling me stuff and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But in God's providence, he used a woman in my life to come preach to me, to come prophesy over me. And my life's much better because of that. I'm much more oriented. The, that which was confusing all of a sudden became clear to me. And one of the signs of the times when God is moving is whenever both men and women, rich people, poor people, everybody in between, everybody at every part of society, when they get preachy towards one another, when the people who have truth begin proclaiming that truth for others, you can tell God's up to something. And man, let me just say this. At the table, we've got some men and some women who are unbelievably gifted uh, preachers. But this verse here is not about formal preaching where someone gets on a stage. Uh, it just means in general, in life groups, in one-on-ones, in digital Zoom calls, when there's a moment to articulate the truth of God for someone else, people just feel compelled to speak truth over one another, uh, to encourage them and to help them find their horizon in life. And you can always know God's up to something at that. Finally, third sign when you know God's at work. It's when the shaken get saved. I'm gonna read this next verse here. We'll skip on down. There's a lot of prophecy going on there, quoting Old Testament. But right in verse 41 of Acts 2, uh, Luke tells us kind of in summary what happened in this moment. Peter gets up, preaches this amazing sermon. And then Luke says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In other words, 
as a result of all of this ministry of sons and daughters prophesying, of the Holy Spirit moving, of that which is confusing becoming clear, of the gospel being preached in all these different languages, as a result of all of that, the church went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day, okay? And it created this really interesting situation where now, because we have no centralized gathering place, people have got to figure out a place to gather. And so it starts the first life group system where people are opening up their homes and they're meeting every way they can for around food, fellowship, prayer, uh, and the study of God's word, which we'll look at next week. But the important thing to note here, you always know God is up to something whenever um, people start getting saved, especially in mass, whenever people are shaken. And as a result of that, they are willing to have conversations about truth and the truth of who Jesus is. Um, uh, when I, in 2011, my wife and I got to go to uh, Uganda. And something that was really interesting about being in Uganda, we, our church at the time had planted a, a ministry there, a mission there. And so we got to go work in the mission, work in the middle of Uganda. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, uh, literally the middle of nowhere. It's not even on a map. And what was so interesting about being part of that mission experience is all these people, it was basically um, um, a mission community made up of children who were displaced by wars. Uh, and these were kids and moms who were left over who were incredibly shaken by their life experiences. And they were, we found them to be among the most godly people we'd ever been around. And so we would just proceed to ask these people like, hey, like, why are you trusting Jesus? You're in the middle of nowhere, kind of in Uganda. Uh, you know, they're literally alligators and crocodiles jumping out of the Nile River and eating people. There's war to the north. Like, this is a really crazy, disruptive situation. Like, how are you trusting Jesus so much? Uh, and they just said, basically, listen, when you've been shaken as much as we have, you cling to anything that's steady. And we've discovered that Jesus is the most steady thing you can find in this life. And so we just cling to him and we worship him uh, and he's never let us down. And man, that kind of faith just was so encouraging to us being here. We would come back to America and be like, man, America maybe needs to be shaken if they're going to return to Jesus. And who knows, maybe right now, I'm not saying God brought coronavirus and killed people so that he can do this. I'm not saying any of that stuff. There's a lot of ethical stuff right there. I am saying God seems to be the kind of person who allows things to be shaken every so often so that what cannot be shaken will still remain. That's what Hebrews 12, 27 says. Sometimes God allows things to be shaken so that that which can't be shaken will remain and people will cling to it and they will be saved. So when the shaken start to get saved in mass, you know God's up to something. Well, in light of all of that, uh, brings us to this question. Uh, what do I do with this and there's two things I think we can do here, Table Fam, as you're taking notes, as you're thinking about this. Number one, keep in mind that with is always better than without. You may be somewhere today where you feel really disoriented, you feel really confused, you feel really trapped in your home, you feel really uh, bothered by not having enough physical contact with your friends. We were talking with our host, our table host the other day, and people were just saying, I feel trapped, I feel isolated, I, I just, I don't like this, I'm, I'm not having fun. And man, you may feel really, really crummy today because of this situation, but you know what? Your non-Christian friends also feel trapped and they also feel uh, claustrophobic and they also feel isolated and they also feel discouraged and they also feel confused, but there's a huge difference between you and your non-Christian friends right now. You have Jesus and your non-Christian friends 
don't have Jesus. You are with God. Your non-Christian friends are without God. You are with hope in Jesus and your non-Christian friends are without hope in Jesus. And keep in mind, I know a lot of things really, really, really stink right now. They're really, really terrible, but you have something that's so important in your asset and that is you have Jesus. And with is always so much more important. It's always so much better than without. And so keep that perspective in mind when you wake up tomorrow and you go, oh my goodness, we're still on lockdown. I still have to go out to Publix and wear a mask and a hazmat suit just to buy a loaf of bread. Like, oh my goodness, right? Yes, that's true. Everybody has to do that but you are with hope in Jesus. And that's a game changer. And that brings us to the second thing we can remember here. And it's the title of this message. It's this, don't ration your with. Don't ration your with. You have Jesus. Your friends don't. In this season where you're on FaceTime and you're talking to people and all these opportunities come up to talk about how shaken and how disoriented, how confused we are, guess what? Don't ration the hope you have in Jesus. You are with Jesus. Don't ration that. Don't hold back. This is a time to share freely with everyone you can. Maybe someone texts you and says, man, I'm so bummed today. And you respond, I'm so bummed too. But you know what? Uh, Jesus is sustaining me and it's keeping me uh, sane in the midst of all of this insanity. Maybe you're playing video games with someone later on and they're like, man, I'm glad I have these video games because really my life is just so terrible and when's this quarantine gonna be over? And you're able to say, you know what? I'm glad I can play video games too because my life would be really, really crummy without that except for the fact that I have Jesus and man, that changes everything. Don't underestimate how this opportunity is so perfect for sharing the truth and the certainty of the hope you have with Jesus right now. Don't ration your with. Uh, there's this verse that Jesus says uh, in the very end of the Gospels. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, in Matthew 19, he says this. He looks at all these people after he's talking with them and says, basically, if you're someone who is without hope, life is impossible. If you're someone who all you have is other men, this life, the things you're going to go through, it's impossible to get through it. All this stuff is really, really impossible if you're without. But... With God, all things are possible. And if you're someone who has God today, your with is better than everybody else's without. And your with is more powerful than everybody else's without. So don't ration your with right now. Share Jesus with as many people as you can. Just to give you a story, you guys, um, to close here, you guys just heard a podcast with me and my dad. And... Um, you know, the big story that comes out of that or the big lesson I think that comes out of my relationship with my dad, and I think you guys will hear it on the podcast, is that when I was growing up, uh, you know, we grew up really non-Christian without any kind of religious orientation. And when I became a Christian, I didn't have much to offer my dad because he was smarter than I was. He was older than I was. He was wealthier than I was. Um, he was more thoughtful than I was. Uh, he was better looking than I was. Uh, everything that could be in an asset column my dad had, I didn't have much, but I had Jesus. And with is always more important than without. My dad was without the one thing he needed. And all I could do to share with him was to share Jesus. And so anytime my dad 
uh, was disoriented, I would share Jesus with them. Anytime my dad asked me questions, I would share Jesus with them. And I remember being a 16-year-old sharing Jesus with my dad and my dad. It was like playing basketball uh, with Jonathan Isaac of the uh, Orlando Magic, right? Who's like seven foot tall. If I was playing basketball with him, every time I take it in for a layup, my dad would just swat it, right? Over and over and over again. All I had to offer was Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. That's all I had to offer. And for four years, all I had to offer my dad was Jesus. And finally, when I turned 20, when my dad turned 50, he called me one day and said, Doug, I became a Christian today. It's the greatest day of my life. I'm at such peace. It's peace that I haven't had for 50 years, but I have right now. Remember, with is always more important than without. And who knows what might happen during quarantine. God might turn you guys into little uh, evangelists, digital evangelists who can get on FaceTime or Marco Polo or TikTok or whatever you use to share your with with everybody else. And who knows what God might do out of this. Maybe, just maybe, the next time we gather at the table, we're gonna have a whole bunch more brothers and sisters joining with us, maybe. Just maybe we have a whole lot more friends to hug and pray with the next time we gather. Who knows what God will do, but I do know this. God is up to something right now in our midst.